All right. Well, I tell you, it's almost like just say, okay, we can just go home now. That was a great message, wasn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, God it just loves to use us. When, when we're vehicles in his hands, loving people, it's, um, it's a powerful thing. Um, have you ever um, tried to just figure something out and uh, it just, just doesn't kind of work? You, you, you just are trying to get it. You're trying to understand it, and it just isn't making sense. And then all of a sudden, um, the light comes on, and you kind of just go, oh, oh. It's like when I was trying to learn calculus. <laughs> After 10 years of one-on-one uh, -on -one <laughs> mentoring, I go, oh. And I can remember when I graduated from college, um, I moved to Doherty. There were some people that I felt God wanted me to um, minister to, and um, care for. And so I moved to Doherty. I started going to Doherty Fellowship, which used to be here before these guys tore it down. And, um, and, and we ministered and, and uh, you know, played, played on they had, they had a church basketball team, church volleyball team. And there was this, this girl that was going to that church also. In fact, we went to the same school in college. We just didn't really see each other there. But as I started doing more ministry um, at Doherty Fellowship, I started to get to know her better, and we started to find that we had a lot of things in common. We liked sports. Um, we liked to minister. You know, she loved the Lord. Uh, it just was, uh, we just did a lot of stuff together, and we just found ourselves spending more and more time together. Um, and uh, it was just fun, and she actually um, liked to do things like water skiing, which I never got to do, and she had a friend that had a boat, so I got to tag along as they went to water ski at the river, and She's a really, really, really good water skier, and I'm not. Um, and so, you know, we were there, and we were spending time together and just having fun, and, and it was one night that, um, this is probably after a year, that we just really had started getting closer and closer to each other. I mean, she had actually helped me. I played basketball in the Philippines once with Overseas Crusades, so she helped me um, the fundraising and... Um, you know, getting in shape and getting all the things together that I needed to do. I mean, this was, it was just a great relationship. And we we're at the, at the river this, this one evening, and it was a beautiful night. It was dark. There were stars everywhere. Um, the water was flat. I mean, it was just a beautiful night. And we're walking along the river, and there was a bench there. So we sat down on this bench, and, and I said, you know, I just really enjoy spending time with you. I love your heart. I love your heart for Jesus. I mean, it's fun playing together. She's a good volleyball player, too, and she could set. And, uh, man, she'd put the ball in the net. It was so much fun because I just love pounding. Um, and uh, so, so and I go, it's just, it's just fun hanging out with you. But I, I, I just have to tell you this. Um, as much as I like being with you, I just don't see us getting rom rom romantically involved. And uh, before all you women go, oh, what a lousy guy. She goes, oh, good. <laughs> she goes, I thought you were going to tell me you liked me. <laughs> she goes, that's a relief. And so, um, so we cleared the air. It was really good. Um, and so what happened is we went back, and for some reason, we just kept hanging out together. In fact, we had to talk to each other. I go, look, at, we are spending too much time together, and we don't want to get romantic, romantically involved, so we need to spend time with other people. And so we said yes. And so for I don't know how many hours or days or whatever it was, we didn't. 
And then it just seemed like we just gravitated back together again because we just liked doing a lot of the same things. And I was at a wedding, and uh, it was a guy that actually came out to Doherty to care for. He was getting married, so I was in the party, and she happened to be in the party also. And so I'm standing up on the stage, and the, and the bridesmaids and uh, stuff are coming forward, and she comes down the aisle, and, and she stops here before she goes over, and I go, oh, wow. She is beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, oh, I, I fell in love with her right there. It's boom. I go, man, the light came on. It's like, oh, wow. Now, I have to tell you, it took me a while to convince her that <laughs> the light didn't come on with her quite as fast. <laughs> but, you know, 37 years later, you know, God is uh, God's still growing our love together. But, you know, that, that, that moment where the light kind of comes on, isn't that just an awesome experience when you just kind of go, oh, yeah, now that makes sense. I think that's what John is trying to do here as he's writing this, this book. And if you remember, um, when Doug preached, um, gosh, it's what is it, like three and a half years ago, when he, the first chapter of John, um, you know, the purpose of, of what John wrote is a document because during that time period, there was this false teaching that was sweeping through the church that said that it didn't really matter how you lived your life out. It, what really was important was the spiritual part of your life. So the spiritual stuff was really was important, and what you did didn't really matter. So if you wanted to have sex or sin or do whatever you wanted to do, don't worry about it because that's just going to burn anyway. It's really not that important. And John is coming against that and saying, no, it is important because who you are spiritually is reflected in what you do practically. And so he's trying to come at this as many different ways as he can, hoping that at some point in time, people will read this and go, oh... Oh, 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 that makes sense. And so my prayer is this morning that maybe some of us will kind of have that experience and go, oh, because John has, has talked about love like this for four chapters now. And he's just re repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating that we need, that love is, is part of what our relation with God is all about. And it's not just some spiritual esoteric experience. It is how it gets lived out practically in our day by day experience, okay? So what happens is three times in this section alone, John says, love one another. Says in a verse seven, says in a verse 11, says in a verse 12. And what he does is he really supports each one of these three um, admonitions by giving us a foundational fact about God with each one of these times that he says, let us love one another. So I want us to spend some time going through that. We're in John, 1 John 4. So let's turn together if you haven't already gotten there. 1 John 4, we're going to start in verse 7. So the first foundational fact that we see is in verses 7 and 8. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the first foundational fact is, is John is talking about what God is. And, and we see in verse 8 that he says, God, for God is love. So when we understand what God is, that really we take that to the practical level that God is love. And basically what John does is he really lays out the fact that if, if God is love, it, it, it does a whole lot of things for us. He says, beloved, let us love one another because if that's the reality, 
You have to understand that that happens because love is from God. If we're going to love one another, we have to understand what the source of love is, right? The source of love is God. And if God is the source of love, then we will live that out by loving one another in a practical way. What is being taught in the church is not true. What is true is that God is love. And so if that's reality, we will love because he says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you really are loving, that displays that you're a child of God, you're born of God. And it also demonstrates that you know God. And this word know is not just some intellectual knowledge that we gain. It's, the, it's an intimate knowing. It's the same word that, that was used when it said in Adam knew Eve. That's the deep relationship that you have. And when he says, if you love one another, you realize that love is from God, it comes to you, and that if you love, you're a child of God, born of God, and you know God. And then he uses the, the opposite of that by saying, and the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we read that and go, wow, does that mean that I don't know God if, I'm, if I don't like my neighbor? Do, do I not, not know God if I get mad at Marge and... We're trying to work things out. No. It says if you don't have a, fun, a foundational relationship with God, if you don't know God in the deepest sense, then you, you, you can't love. There's a lot of people that are not Christians that are good people, right? That are loving, that are kind, that are caring, that are sensitive, that are understanding. But, but that really doesn't matter if they don't know God. And he, and he takes the, the next several verses to really help us understand. So what does this mean to know God? And, and how, could, how could you say that this person who is a loving, caring, sensitive, understanding person who's doing a lot of good things um, it, it doesn't know God? And so he, he begins to, to, to uh, explain this stuff more and more and more because understanding that as Christians, when John says that God is love is really important because what he is not saying, right, is that love is God. And sometimes we get that thing confused and we, we start saying, well, love is God, and then we start painting a picture there was something that was written um, a while back by Vanessa McDonald. It, it was in, it, she put it on Facebook. And I asked her if I could use it, and she said I could. So um, I didn't ask Marge if I could use that first one. So that's probably going to cost me money. <laughs> um, but um, the, Vanessa wrote this. She was sitting by Jude's bed because Jude was calling for her. And as she was sitting there late at night, um, she wrote this, Now I don't know why she would bring her cell phone to Jude's bed while she's sitting with him, but that's another thing. And, and really, kudos to Ricky, because Ricky's got all his kids calling for Vanessa in the middle of the night, which is pretty smart. So here, here's what she wrote. My prayer is that my children will love God more than they love mommy and daddy. When I leave the room or I'm out of sight, they cry for me. Jude is constantly saying, hold me. RJ craves for me to just sit and talk with them multiple times through the day. Even when discipline or corrected, it's me they want. Every scraped knee, head bump, or fall, they find comfort in my arms. They ask a million questions about just about everything, confident that I will know the answers. Isn't that true? Now, I don't, we just have them buffaloed. And they know we know everything. They know we can protect them. They know we're strong and powerful. I mean, we are, we are it. They're, and when they're excited about something, they can't wait to share it with me. They watch our every mood and hear our every word. They delight in pleasing us. RJ knows the things that bring me joy and daily does things to surprise me. Tidies up, he gets his clothes and himself ready, cheers up brother or sister with songs or acting silly, offers me coffee. That is a good guy. Um, 
Jude can't help but kiss Charlie with, uh, uh, with such pizzazz that we have no choice to smile. Yes, they certainly don't always listen or make the best choice, but they sure do try. They know that no matter what they do, we will always love them. They, they, they know that matter, no matter what they do, we will always love them. I want to love like they love, fully dependent on my Heavenly Father. What a rich thing. I mean, as she's sitting there realizing how much their kids love them just because they love them and how much they trust them, how much they, they um, unequivocally um, believe that they will take care of them. And he says, man, if I could have that relationship with God. I mean, think about what it would be like if you and I could have that relationship with God where, where unequivocally we just trust him. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what's happening. We just know that God loves us. We just know that God cares for us. We just know that God is in charge. And see, when we understand that, that is a powerful thing, is that when we can go through anything in life and know that God is in control, that God has a plan, and that this is all part of his plan. And here's the thing that we, that, that we need to really get, get our arms around, is that, that really it's, it's what God is that determines what we ought to be. I mean, we're a reflection of him, and, and God is love. Love is not God. Do you guys get that? See, God is love. Love is not God because he, here's what we do. We um, see and want to define love. So what we do, how many you guys ever heard this? If God was really a loving God then, boop, 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 right? And so what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to, to define what love is. We have a tendency to go, this is what love is. And if God was a loving God, he would do this, right? If God really loved, he would do this or he would not do this. And so we as people define love, and then what we do is we define God based on our definition of what love should be, right? And then all of a sudden, we're judging God because God doesn't fit into our definition of what love is, because if he was really a loving God, he would act the way that we want him to act, right? And that's not what it's all about. God is love. And, and by the way, God is a whole bunch of other things, right? He is righteous, he is just, he is eternal, he is unchanging. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. That's our God. And so, and so if God is all those things, and all those things are permeated by the fact that he's love, can't we trust a loving God who's all-powerful, almighty, omniscient, everywhere, all the time, and eternal to do what's right? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Amen. And this is, a, this is our challenge because we are so finite that it's very difficult for us to conceptualize eternal, isn't it? So listen, those of you that can, stand up. If you can't, don't worry about it. Just stand up. It was real hard, huh? You've got to get up. You're just getting into your REMs, man. Your third cycle of sleep, <laughs> you know. So... A little uncomfortable. Some of you is harder than others. Some people are beat, more beat up than others. But, but we made it, right? So sit down. Now that you're awake. Now really, in the, in the context of life, you guys all hate me, but I didn't even tell you to turn around and say hi to the guy behind you, right? I didn't tell you to tell the guy next to you, boy, God, Dave's doing a great job, you know, and then say back, yeah, he is. I didn't, none of that, right? I just said stand up. But really, in the context of life, how, how, how much is that going to impact your life? 
I mean, 20 years from now, you're going to go, man, I remember when Dave told us to stand up, man. That was like the most devastating thing that ever happened. It changed my whole, I mean, it ain't really nothing, right? Because in the context of your whole life, this is just, a, it's a very insignificant event. And here's the reality. Life, life in the, in the context of eternity, it's just like that. It's just like that. And when, and when we're in eternity and we look back, it'll be the same thing. Remember when Dave told us to stand up? Yeah, that was nothing. We're going to say, remember what our life was like? Remember when I was going through that experience and I just thought I would never get through it? We'll go, wow, that was nothing. But, but, but it's so hard for us, isn't it, for us to realize that there's an eternal, all-powerful, almighty God who loves us. And if that's the case, all we have to do is trust that he is God and he's going to take care of things and he has a plan and we're a part of the plan and it's going to work out. We just need to listen. We just need to, get, be, to, to know him in an intimate way. We just need to, to, to want more than anything else to be intimate with him. See, John is trying to get the light to come on. Can you guys understand that God is love? And if God is love, therefore we should love one another. The second foundational thing that he talks about is not only is God love, it's not who he is, but the second foundational fact is what God did. And see, in verse 9, we, you know, he starts talking about what God did. Now, here's how he loved us. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John starts talking about the fact that, that um, God did something. And what did God do? He sent his son. How do we know that God is love? Well, he proved it to us. He sent his son. He says, by this, the love of God was manifested. By this, the love of God was made public. Manifested really talks about being made public or, or, or displaying. Um, and he did that in Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, um, he, was made, he was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. And it's interesting because when John says he sent, that's one of the evidences of the deity of Christ. See, babies are born, right? The son of God is sent. So we have, we, have, we have the perfect man born, sent by God as a son of God. And this is the only place in the epistle where John mentions the, the, the only begotten son. And he does that specifically to identify that this, this son who was sent, he's the unique and the only one of its kind. So John now is beginning to say, God is love. And how, here's how we know that God is love. Because of what God did. And in verse 10, he really begins to paint the theological core of what his definition of love is all about. And this is the thing that I think as people, we struggle with. Because he says this in verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not that, that, that you know, God looked down and go, wow, those people are such loving people. Man, they love me so much. I feel so bad for them. They're such nice, loving people that let me see if I can figure out a way to fix this for them. I mean, we hated God. We were rebellious. We wanted nothing to do with him. Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And John is saying, man, it wasn't because we were loving that God did this. It was because God loved us that it happened. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And that's a big old word, isn't it? He took our place. He paid the price. 
paid in full. It's like this. You know, I, I, I was here at the church late at night one night, you know, and, and I, I come sometimes because I feel burdened for me to, to, to pray for Doug, you know, that God would just give Doug wisdom and discernment and understanding and, and the power of the Spirit to really lead this church. And some, sometimes it takes a lot longer for me to pray than other times. And so I'm praying for Doug, and, you know, it's probably 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm finally feeling like, well, maybe there's hope. And so I, <laughs> I start heading home. See, Doug preaches a lot, and he picks on me, so this is really fun payback. Um, so I'm on my way home. I'm, I'm like majorly ADD, too, so um, this, this makes it even worse. Um, so, so I'm on my way home, and I'm driving you know, down to my house, and, and I'd make this left-hand turn to go up Mount Olive, and I'm thinking, man, you know, those calming islands are so much fun. Those of you that don't know where I live, I kind of live up on a hill, and, and the city decided to put these, these things in the middle of the street that they call calming islands. And what they do is they just make you go around them. Well, basically what they are is they're this incredible obstacle course that you can drive around. And the faster you go around them, the more fun it is. So it actually defeated the purpose of what they were trying to do. So, so I'm thinking as I'm coming up this road, that man, if I could get enough speed coming up this road, I could probably hit those calming islands going at really good speed. And I could probably have a blast going through this thing. So I decided to just forget the stop signs. I blew through the first one. I got to the second one, man. It was a little curved there. I go, this will be so much fun. I come flying around that one, which was a calming island, by the way. And then, then I got up to the third one. I come flying around that one, swerved over here, came flying around the third one, got to the top of the hill. There's a stop sign there, but I'm going way too fast to stop at that stop sign. So I just fly around that corner. And as they get down the hill um, to come back up to our street, I see these lights flashing behind me. <laughs> thinking, it's one o'clock in the morning. What is he doing up here? So I make my turn and I got to park by the corner because I certainly don't want to be in the front of my house when I'm talking to this guy. Um, so he goes, uh, do you know you ran up three stop signs and we're going 70 into 25? I go, well, I don't know if it was 70, but yeah, I was going pretty fast. And he goes, well, I got to write you a ticket. And so I go, yeah, I guess. So he writes me this ticket, I get this thing in the mail, so and you know, you have to really come before the court because what you did, we can't give you a fine for. And so I, I walk into the courtroom and I walk into the court and um, I come up before the judge and I look up and it's my dad. I'm going, yes, because my dad loves me. Man, we have a great relationship. And so I, I stand in there before him, he goes, um, do you know um, that you ran three stop signs? I go, yes, sir. And you were doing 70 and a 25. Well, yes, sir. So that's pretty reckless, right? Yes, it was. Pretty irresponsible? Yes, it was. Well, you know, you broke the law. Yes. Well, you know, you broke the law. You need to pay the price. And so the gavel comes down. He says, $10,000 fine. I go, $10,000? It's only going 70 for crying out loud. <laughs> so I pull out my wallet and I look at it and like, I, all I had was my allowance from Marge. It was like $3. <laughs> and I go, that's, that's not going to make it. I mean, what am I going to do? And so the bailiff comes. If you can't afford to pay the fine, you need to serve the time. So he starts to take me away, and my dad gets down off the bench, and he takes his robe off, and he folds it up. He sets it on his chair, and he walks over, and he says, hold on a minute. He pulls out his checkbook, and he goes, listen, I love you, son, and he writes a check for $10,000, and he gives it to the bailiff. He says, paid in full, paid in full. And then he puts his arm around me, and he gives me a big hug, and we walk out together. See, that's propitiation. See, Jesus came because we were sinning. 
We were separated. We were living in sin. We wanted nothing to do with God. And God is a perfectly righteous judge. And, ju and he's going to judge perfectly. And so the judgment for sin is death. Boom. Guilty as charged. Now, how does a loving God deal with justice when we're guilty as charged? He says, I'm going to pay the price. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus hung on the cross, and he was hanging on the cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full. Man, if we get that message that God loved us so much that while we were sinners, Jesus said, paid in full. I took your place. You deserve to be here. I took your place. Paid in full. What a powerful thing it is for us to understand that God's love for us took action. It became practical. And he paid the price that we deserve to pay. And we have to understand that John's order is really clear. We didn't earn God's love by our acts of love. It wasn't because we were good people that this happened. We love because we know and understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. And our response to that, our response to being in a loving, deep relationship with God is we become loving people. Just, just in the same way that Ricky and Vanessa's kids are just loving kids because the environment is one that just permeates that. So John is saying it's not just the fact that God is love, but it's because God sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So, you know, we know what God is. We know what God has done. But there's a third foundational fact that I want us to look at. And that third fact is in 12 through 14. It really is what God is doing. So verse 12 says, No one has sent God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So let's take a few minutes and just review what God's been saying about the basic truth that God is love. I mean, we know this truth is in Scripture, right? But we also know that it's been revealed on the cross. It's not just something that is told to us, but it was something that was displayed for us. It's not just some doctrine that's in the Bible, but it's actually an eternal fact that's clearly been demonstrated on Calvary. So we know biblically that it's true. And we know experientially that it's true. It's, it's important for us to understand that. I mean, that's significant stuff to know that not only is, it, is God somebody who, who said something to us and he's done something for us, but all of this preparation of God helping us know that he's love and the sent his son so that we could be set free and the price could be paid positions us for this third principle that John is saying is that God not only wants to do something, uh, say something to us and do something for us, but he, he literally wants to do something in us. You know, the, the, the third thing is that God abides in us. See, it's what God is doing right now is he, he is abiding in us. John says, this is so good. He says, no one, has seen the son, the God, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The, the, the God of the universe, 
You guys, you've got to get this. The God of the universe, almighty, all-powerful, eternal, magnificent, glorified, loving creator wants to abide in us. Is that good news or is that good news? See, we're not merely students who are reading some good book or spectators watching some really deeply moving event. We literally, literally are, are participants in the, in the great drama of God's love. We get to be a part of it. We get to participate in what God did. If we kind of look at God's relationship with man through, through the biblical history, we see in the garden that God had direct fellowship with Adam and Eve. They had direct fellowship together, but... but um, you know, there's, there's this little thing about them going vegan, and they only ate apples or something, but um, they ate this apple, they were kicked out of the garden, and they were separated from God, and there needed, to be, there needed to be a sacrifice that would be offered to bring them back into fellowship together. And then um, in, in Genesis, we see that, that men walked with God. So Enoch walked with God, um, Noah walked with God, Abraham walked with God. And as we get into Exodus and Moses is leading the people out of the, uh, into the promised land, he gets in the wilderness and God tells Moses, build a tabernacle so I can dwell among you. And what an awesome thing it was if you read, Genesis, um, you read Exodus where God's glory descends on the tabernacle and the people are just amazed. And Moses goes in there, he comes out, his face is glowing. What an awesome experience to have the living God dwell in your midst. And, and Solomon built this magnificent temple so God could dwell with them. But it didn't say God dwelt in them as individuals. God dwelt among them. Among them. And then, of course, they rebelled like we all do, right? God's glory left. Ezekiel said the glory left. And for 400 years, they didn't hear anything from God. And did the glory return? Yes. It was manifested in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he came to earth and he, and, and he demonstrated God's love in a physical, tangible way. And what did they do? They crucified him. But he didn't die some martyr's death as some poor guy. He died a conquering hero, right? He was a, he was a victor. He, he, he died as a victor. He was a conqueror. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he rose again from the dead. That's our Lord. Amen. Amen. And, and John says that, that no one has seen God at any time. They saw Jesus. They didn't get it. Now, here's the deal. If Jesus is gone and you can't see God in Jesus, how, how do we see God today? Jesus said, they will know that you are disciples by what? By your love for one another. You want the world to see Jesus today? You're, they're going to see Jesus today because we are people who are abiding in Christ and he is abiding in us and his, his love abides in us and we love one another. People are going to see Jesus in us. Man, is there anything better than that? That... Man, I tell you, if the light doesn't come on, you go, oh, oh. See, it, Jesus didn't say, you will, they will know that you are my disciples if you live a more righteous life than everybody else. They will know that you are my disciples if you are wiser than everybody else. They will know you're my disciples if you are more discerning than everybody else. Are those things important? 
Yeah, they are. But man, the demonstration of God's love is the power that's transformational. And so John is, is, is saying, hey, we are perfected. This is, this is just good stuff. I got lucky. I got to preach a really good passage. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, if we, if we make our home in Christ, if Christ makes his home in us, it says, it says that his love is perfected in us, and that word perfected means fulfilled, fruit that is ripened, a race that is finished. Here's the deal. Here's what John's saying. He's saying God's love has come to fruition. It's reached its goal, and it's reached its destination, and the destination of God's love is our heart. God abides in us and makes his home in us. It's perfected in us. So, so the world is going to know that Jesus is alive by our love for one another. By him coming and making his home in us. And here's the thing, you guys. God is an eternal God. We are a part of his plan. He is all wise. This may come as a shock to you. You are not. He is eternal. You are not. So, so he is looking at what's happening in your life today in the context of eternity. And he has a plan that's a perfect plan that says whatever you're going through today is part of my perfect plan. And what you're going through today is going to have a really awesome eternal effect that, that you aren't even going to be able to comprehend. And we should be so excited about, about being part of God's, the privilege of being his children and being part of the love that he has for us and being participants in his plan. We just become critics that complain because we don't like his plan and we don't understand his plan and we don't get it and we want him to change it and we want him to do it our way. Here's the deal. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have to grab somebody and say, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus. You know, it's not going to happen. Hey, I want you to show you Jesus. You're going to, I already know. He's there. It's evident. It's obvious. Nobody's going to see Jesus through me in heaven. Where's it, where am I going to be a reflection of Christ? Here and now. You know how much time I get to do that? That's it. And you know, you know the interesting thing about it is there are no do-overs. Can't do it over. You can't say, oh, God, if I would have known, just, can you just send me back? Just give me six weeks. Just six weeks. I'll fix it. See, we get to abide in Christ, and Christ gets to abide in us, and we get to reflect the love of Christ. We get to have an eternal impact while we're here. There is no greater privilege that we could have than that. We can't get distracted. And then he kind of wraps it up by saying, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We are eyewitnesses that Jesus has come, and Jesus has done a powerful work. And let me tell you, the stuff that, you know, John is saying, the stuff that I've been telling you, that God is love, and that God loved you so much that he sent his son, and he wants you to be a part of his plan. He wants to empower you with a love that is supernatural. He wants to empower you with a, with a peace that passes understanding. He wants to do a work in you that is a supernatural work that you can't do on your own. 
You just need to understand what it means to abide in him and let him abide in you. Here, here's kind of a little example. Okay, so, so God wants to dwell in us, right? He wants to abide in us. So here's what happens, you know, God, um, John says it's through a spirit that we can abide and that he abides in us and he dwells in us. So Jesus, when he was um, on the earth, he said, you know, I'm going to go away, but don't worry about it because I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit is going to come and he's going to do my work. And here's what happens is he comes and, he, and he's in us and then things happen, you know, things happen at work where you, somebody does something and just, you don't really like it too much. And then, um, you know, somebody says something that you really don't like, your neighbors aren't very nice. And um, then you actually lose your job, you know, and, and all of a sudden the dwelling of God begins to seep out. And the good news is, as it does, it kind of splashes on people, and people kind of get to experience the love of God. Um, and, you know, God is good because he continues to pour himself out so that we are, you know, able to have him dwell in us, and he abides in us. And, and then, you know, what happens is, you know, somebody hurts us, and, and, we, we, and God says, forgive him. And we go, no, I'm not forgiving that person. That person's a rotten snake. And, and, and he goes, no, really forgive him. And we go, no, I'm not forgiving them. You don't know what they did to me. And he goes, no, really forgive them. He goes, no, I am not forgiving them. And it just eats at us and it just eats at us and it just eats at us. And, and all of a sudden, God wants to fill us and we have this, this big old hole that we've built because oh, I'm not forgiving that person. I'm not letting that go. I'm not letting God be in charge. God doesn't know what it's like to have that happen to me. And God says, um, you, you, you need to be healed. You need to be complete. You need to be whole. And we go, well, okay, okay. So then we run around and we try to patch all these holes up. Go, oh, man, God, I'm sorry. Let me patch it up. Let me patch it up. And God says, no, no, no. Abide in me. Abide in me. Let me abide in you. Let me be the one who brings healing to your life. Let me be the one who brings completion to your life. Let me be the one who is your source and your strength. See, we can't do it, you guys. We can't do it. But he does it. He brings forgiveness. And here's the other thing. You know, John says that he who does not know God, he who does not love does not know God because Jesus is the foundation of what we're all about. You can't know God unless you understand that you're a sinner and as a sinner, you're separated from Christ. And the only way that you can have a relationship with God is by the grace of God and the death of his son on the cross. Amen. And it's not until I go, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to die. Thank you that Jesus died in my place. Thank you. And I receive his forgiveness. Has nothing to do with who I am. Has nothing to do with what I did. Has nothing to do with what I'm going to do. It is everything about Jesus paying the price. Paid in full. Praise God. That's it. Doesn't matter if I'm a good husband, doesn't matter if I'm a good employee, doesn't matter if I'm a millionaire, nothing that matters. And see, that's the foundation of our life is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead and we live in the power of his resurrection power, amen? So here's what happens with somebody who doesn't know God and doesn't have that foundation. God's love is poured out and what happens? There's no foundation, there's no foundation. Christ is not there. How can somebody who doesn't know Christ love? He can't. She can't. They need Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. And you know who needs to tell them that? Yes. 
You know who needs to love enough to send that message? We do. You know how you get to that point? Stop trying to fill your holes by yourself. Let Jesus Christ be the one who fills you. Let him be the one who heals you. Let go of all that stuff. And be set free. He loved you so much. He died for you. Let go of it. And seek him. Have that intimate relationship with God that passes understanding, that's transformational. Let's pray.